Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, well, I want to take you back to a moment in my history in the early 80s, and I am in junior high, and we, in our junior high, um, we had a home ec uh, class and it was a rotating unit and uh, one of our first units was sewing and we got to pick out a kit to sew our own pillow and I picked out the telephone pillow kit um, because I, I made this for my mom. My mom um, was very social and loved to chat and she uh, did a lot of phone chatting and with the ones with the, the I have a picture I think if we we're, we're pulling it up there it is. There was my kit. See the cord there? And I made this for my mom. Um, Mary, do you remember these kids? Yes. I think Mary made the hamburger. Yep, the hamburger. There we go. So, and uh, towards the end of the sewing unit, the teacher announced the next unit, and the next unit was microwave cooking. Microwave cooking. Now, this was the, the, right at the time when the microwave was beginning to gain popularity in the kitchen gadget genre. And it was beginning its rise to fame across the world, except not in my home. Not in my home. I remember very clearly um, picking up from my parents. They would talk about this appliance. And in my young brain, this is what stood out. Danger. Danger from this radioactive box of doom that would not find its way into our home. Now, I don't remember exactly, but I just remember the idea of beams and currents running through your food and the particles of the food that are getting transformed. And then you bring that into your body. Like, what is it going to do to your insides, right? Like, this was the real chatter around my house. And uh, my parents took a strong stance. And uh, just like the Cabbage Patch doll, this fad would not make its way into our home. It would not. And so I remember that um, as a family, we decided we were just going to wait this convenience out and that soon enough, everyone else would come to the truth, the realization that mm -mm, a down with a microwave, right? And that we were going to do, um, we were just going to bake and we were going to boil and we would find something else to do with that hour while the baked potato was in the oven. Yes, find something else to do. Just wait it out, right? So here I am in this home ec class with a firm belief that the convenience of the microwave would not outweigh the dangerous uh, side effects and the risks that could be caused in your family, in your life. It wasn't worth the risk of p potential like radioactivity of the food that you were going to be consuming, right? And so I remember this inner conflict as the teacher is passing out this next project. I remember because uh, what she was offering us, we were going to make monkey bread. Monkey bread brought to you by the wonder of the microwave. Monkey bread, yes. Biscuits rolled in cinnamon sugar and then put together in a bun in there with butter and like brown sugar and all of the things. Like it's caramely and it's carbs. And uh, so I remember just being so torn. Monkey bread, good. M microwave bad. Like, I remember, I don't know, Mary, if you have these memories, but I remember thinking, where can I position myself in this home ec room where I am far enough away from that microwave, but close enough to the monkey bread? I remember, how do I, how do I negotiate this inner kind of this battle that is going on in my, 
I remember seriously thinking there's like all these stations and like I am going to be way far away when my team works on that microwave, right? But over time, over time, somewhere along the way, science and technology won the day and uh, my parents realized that the microwave was actually safe enough to bring into our home and we joined the large group of popcorn poppers and egg exploders out there, and we too brought a microwave into our home, happily reheating with the rest of the world, right? But um, here's the deal, guys. We carried a real myth in our family that needed to be zapped. It needed to be zapped. That there was a myth that we actually we acted on. We believed it, um, you know, all the way down. We believed it so far down that we actually, you know, didn't bring the microwave into our home. It it affected how I approached my home ec class, right? And in the same way, there are myths in our spiritual life that need to be zapped. There are myths in our spiritual life that will affect what we actually bring into our, the spiritual kitchens of our lives, our spiritual homes, our experiences with God, our spiritual maturity that we have missed. We, we know myth here. It's just a widely held but false belief or idea that we have these um, false ideas and assumptions and beliefs about God and we live them out just like we do with our microwave thoughts and assumptions and and they, they, they aren't accurate, but we live them out in a way that then limits our actual spiritual growth, limits our actual experience on this earth. It limits the, the fullness of, of what God intended for us to have in our spiritual kitchens, in our spiritual homes. It limits the, the, the reach in some ways, of the good news, the volume of the good news of the gospel as it was meant to spread out across our lives on this earth. It keeps us from walking in the, the fullness of our spiritual promised land. And so that's what I want to do today, guys. I have a goal today that we would zap, that we would dispel a common myth about spiritual maturity. And I hear this myth often and not only do I hear it often from the outside, I hear rumblings of it in my own spirit. That I can, that I can honestly stand before you and say there are places where this thing still um, comes alive in my own inner dialogue. And here's this, this myth that I want us to dispel today. This myth about spirituality, and it goes something like this. Some people are just wired to be more spiritual. Some people... I see how some people, those people, experience God, how they hear from God, how they worship God, how they encounter God in, in, in dreams, how they walk in a, a level of wisdom. Maybe you, you hear how someone prays or a prayer life. You hear of a prayer life or, or a way that you know someone has a, a testimony, a part of their journey, but it seems that it happens more on a regular basis. And you look at that and you go, wow. I don't have what they have. I don't have that. I don't experience God like that. I don't hear God like that. I don't know how to pray like that. I don't really know how to engage in worship. I hear Sarah inviting me to connect with God, but that's for her, right? That's for those people. That's not for me. And we, we, we say, you know what? I don't think that I hear God like that. I pray like that. I experience God like that. And I never will, really, is where we take that. And we start looking and we say, you know what, but my spirituality, it's, it's weaker. It's less than. 
right? And I, um, I still, I still catch myself with this thought in my head that there is a certain personality type that lends itself to deeper spirituality, that there are certain tendencies that people have, maybe dispositions that they have. They are, they are more of a natural, this is what I do. They're more of a natural prayer. They're more of a natural, natural, you know, walk by faither or a worshiper, right? Like they just have that personality that lends itself that they just, they, they are, they're more quiet and they're more, um, they, they do more like, you know, they like to meditate and they're more, is it compliment? No, it's not compen- that contemplative, contemplative. They're, they're that. It's not what I am. I don't use that word to describe myself. It doesn't even come out when I try. And I think if I think this way, there must be other people who do too, right? So here's, here's, let me put this, this in context here at Thrive. You hear us talk often about an on fire follower of Jesus. That as a church that we have decided that we are moving wherever we are, wherever we are in our walk with Jesus, that we know where we're headed. We are all moving to this on fire follower of Jesus. And we use words like, um, like passionate, a passionate relationship with Jesus. We say things like um, a, a radical life lived out with God. We talk about being um, spirit-filled. We talk about uh, uh, spiritual maturity or being fired up for Jesus, right? That we live all of our life in this wholehearted devotion for Jesus. That's where we're headed as a church. That's what our flames are. That's what we've been setting our hearts on. We hear the God, the invitation of God, and we're like, this is where we're moving together as a church. But here's what I think might happen, is that you might think about that person, that on-fire follower of Jesus. And I wonder, what do you picture? How would you describe what we say as an on-fire follower of Jesus? What words might kind of come to the surface? Well, here, maybe this is the best way to ask it. If you had uh, that definition in Wikipedia, on-fire follower of Jesus, whose picture would be there? Can you think of that? Can you get it in your head for a second? I asked Kevin who, what he would picture, and he said, John the Baptist, John the Baptist. I'm like, that's perfect. Yes, exactly. The person I would put next to it, it would maybe be someone like a missionary, someone who lives in poverty, someone who has given up all of the riches of this, this culture and this life here, someone who goes to like just full time, um, be amongst the poor, or maybe owns an orphanage. I picture a monk. Someone who spends the day in prayer and quiet and quiet and quiet, right? I, I picture maybe someone who was the ex-drug addict and, um, and God radically saved them and they now all they live for is Jesus and they are, are vocal and they're, uh, they're you know, it's, you can see it. They're living it out right before your eyes. Who do you picture? Who do you picture? And when you picture that person, here's what I do. I think it's easier for them to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Yes, it's easier for them. And a lot of times when I would feel this like, oh, I should be living fully, you know, fully devoted to Jesus with him just on my, my mind all the time, connected to him. I had this escape hatch and all I would think of is like, I have to get, I have to move. I have to go somewhere else. I have to live in China. 
I have to go live. I have to detach myself from this culture and the distractions because I can't here. I can't on this soil. I can't when I have to get my kids places and I can't when I have to work and I have to maintain a law, a lawn and I have to maintain a self image. I can't do that here. So I, the only way to do it would be to completely, and I felt this for so long. I think I should move to China. Because there, there I can picture there that I could live what God is, what he wants of me, what he expects of me, the full, the fullness of what he has for me. And I don't know if you if you do this, but I think I can't do that. Here I make these excuses why I can't live in communion with God, why I can't pray the way that I think I should. And so uh, I, I don't know where you, how you would process this, but here's what I think I can do is that I can easily disqualify myself from the spiritual maturity that God intends that I can make an excuse for myself I can believe it it just absolutely deep down that I don't have quiet peaceful tendencies I just don't have that personality I don't have the the design for wholehearted devotion I look in and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of like anxiety in there and there's a lot of noise in there and I, I, a lot of ambition in there, right? That's the kind of person that I am. I'm not a prayer. I have maybe just too many maybe demands on me. I have this type of family life, you know, whatever it may be. And here's what happens when we buy into this myth. We, we buy into it. We start developing a class system, and it feeds into what we really easily do as people, doesn't it? Where we easily separate people out, and we have this us and them, right? It's really, really natural, really quick to do that we have the elite. We have the special ones. We have the people who, you know, uh, uh, Old Testament prophets, the disciples, the martyrs, the, the radical ones. And then we have the us, the strugglers, the have-nots, the, the normal people, the people who have a life who, you know, dot, 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 fill in the blank. And here's the problem, here's the danger in developing classes that we think that what Jesus died for, what he sent his spirit for us to have, we think that what he intends for um, all of us, our lives to be like, we think it's for them. It's for someone else, really. That offer, that invitation is for another type of person the elite, the spiritual ones, right? And you hear us saying, becoming on fire followers of Jesus, and our automatic response could be, well, not me, not me. You're talking about someone else in the room. You're talking about a couple other people in the room. You're talking about maybe the, the worship leader or the person leading intercession or the ones that are leading the small groups. And the automatic response, the automatic response is, that is not for me. You're not talking to me. And we take ourselves out of the running for a life like that. We just disconnect ourselves from that. And we think that that mature spiritual life, that life in the spirit, that, that life that is full of power, the impossible life, the one of faith, the one that is marked by miracles, the one that looks like Jesus, that has, that has incredible fruit across it, kindness, mercy, and generosity. If we can't picture it in our own lives, if we can't picture it in our own skins, if we can't hear that invitation in our own, own minds, if it's always for someone else, guys, if it is always for someone else, we will never reach for it. And then we'll never see it. Just like 
the microwave. It won't come into my spiritual experience. It won't be meant for my life. That myth, that that mature life, that life in the spirit is for someone else. It will keep us from the fullness that God dreamed of for us on this earth. The things that Wendy was inviting us into as a church, we're saying, we're ready. We're ready to move into more. We're ready. We're ready to take on that, that higher water level that God wants to pour out his spirit on his people to carry his presence wherever they go. We want to be able to say, yes, I can see that in my own life, that own invitation for me. And so that's what I want to do is first, I want to bring this myth to our awareness. And then I want us to dispel it with some truth from the words of Jesus, okay? So here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, we're going to dispel this myth. We're going to replace it with some truth from Jesus himself. So here's what um, Jesus said. He said this, uh, he had a, a, a teaching that was really at the heart of his message for humanity. And he came and he said this, um, so many different ways, so many groups of people, different settings. But this was a uh, heart was about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he says this in Matthew 3, 2. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is a message that, that we refer to this often. We do because it really is so central to our life here. But Jesus had this clear message. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, it's also, he said, it's near. It was interchangeable. But I like at hand because it gives me a visual. Because I can put out my hand and I can see how close my hand is. And I have a, a sense that it's reachable. If it's right here, if it's at hand, if it's as close as my hand, that he is saying heaven The kingdom of heaven, the ways of God, as it is in heaven, is now breaking into this earth, and it's so close, it's right at your hand. It's right there. It's something that you could reach out and touch. That Jesus came, when he came, he brought in a new era. It was an inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven into earth where he brought the nature of God, the ways of God, the authority, the power, the rule of God into this earthly setting. And what he did is he, he showed us by doing miracles, he showed us the extent, the power, the enormity of the kingdom of heaven that is breaking in. And so Jesus would do things like he would, he would do miracles where he would, in a storm, rebuke the wind and the waves. And he did that to demonstrate that the, the authority of heaven, the power of heaven could overcome the, a natural system, a natural weather system. Any ecosystem that we experience here in the natural uh, natural world, uh, God is just showing us through these miraculous, um, these outworkings of Jesus that the kingdom of heaven is actually bigger than that. It overcomes that. So Jesus would heal um, uh, physical needs, sickness, and he would say, look at my power, the power of, the, of heaven among you is greater than the natural, your physical body, the, the way things work in the natural, yes, even sickness that's been there from birth. Here, let me just show you what the kingdom of heaven is like when it breaks in. It's this big. It's this powerful. It's this overcoming. It overcomes whatever um, whatever is in place, whatever systems are in place on this earth. Okay, so that's what he's showing us. This is my way, my nature that's available on earth. Here is the scope of the kingdom. It's bigger. It's bigger than, than anything that you've experienced on this earth, right? But then he also did this. When Jesus was coming and he was speaking this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
He's, he's bringing it to people that Jesus was teaching this so clearly that this was for everyone, everywhere, everyone, everywhere, that an equal measure of this powerful kingdom of heaven was near for everyone. This inbreaking of heaven, the rule of God was just as close for everyone. Look at who Jesus spent his time preaching to. Look at the 12 that he gathered around them. God was so purposeful in this. These were uneducated, untrained men. That's who he was bringing this message. They were the ones that would carry out the the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom of heaven after Jesus, right? It wasn't for the spiritual elite of the day. In fact, he rejected the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. He rejected the spiritual, the, the ones that we thought would carry this message, would carry this powerful kingdom, the ones who had qualified themselves to be able to, to carry the rule of God, right? Jesus actually said, no, I'm handing it to the children. I'm handing it to these untrained disciples. It was so good. It was so purposeful. In a minute, God was just showing us, listen, it's not the spiritually elite. It's not for a certain class of people, the ones we thought Jesus should have handed it to, could have handed it to, would have handed it to, right? The kingdom is here, and he's just in a moment. It's for everyone. He's taking apart the distinctions that we make up in our head. He's dispelling this myth. So now what? Now what? We have Jesus here speaking these words. It's not for just these spiritual elite. Now what? Well, here is where some action comes in. The very first word um, that, that Jesus spoke before this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is this word, repent. Repent. Here is the action verb. It is the word that is linked to the rest of what comes behind it. Here's what we do, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's our part, repent. God's part, bring it close. We have a part in that, and that is to repent. Repent. Now, we talk about this word often. Again, it's a key. It is a key in our spiritual growth. And in the Greek, this word, it means a couple things. It means adjust your perspective or change your mind. And you're adjusting your perspective to make a course correction. There's another way to go. Adjust your perspective. Okay, so um, Mary and I recently were uh, sharing some of our our wifey grief with each other, our woes. And we were telling, we were talking about with we were, Kevin and Evans were in the room. We were talking about how um, when our husbands go to the fridge to get something out of it, they both do the same thing every time they go to the fridge. You, they open it for like one second and then they turn around. Where's the mustard, right? Like they, they are looking for something. There's something they want. Parmesan cheese, it is the same thing every time. It is literally like a nanosecond of effort, and they just turn to us. Now, my hunch was that um, Kevin, it was just easier for Kevin to ask me, right? Like he did, this, I was like, you just don't want to put the effort in. You had the same eyeballs that I have, but you don't want to get down there and move the yogurts and the sour cream around to find the mayo. It's just easier Molly, do it for me, right? Like, this is my hunch. And Mary was saying that Evans does the same thing. It's two seconds. Call, come here. I need you to find, right, the salad dressing. And we were laughing about this, and Evans came up with this. He, his answer was, he's too tall. He <laughs> is too tall. I know. So he did say I could share this. He, so apparently, from his perspective, he can't. All he can see is the half and half. He can't see it. It's a, he's got a disability. 
right? Like, yes, Mary, help, come. I'm too tall to get anything out of the fridge. So, so, um, so this is how Kevin, this is how he approaches the fridge. He goes to it going, I can't find the pickles. I can't, I can't find them. I need help, right? And so what I have been asking Kevin, humbly, thank you, Wendy, could you adjust, could you adjust your perspective? Could we do a course correction? Here, it's like this, bend, right, bend, okay, move, yep, just like me, like we have to do the same, it's the same thing, right? So could you adjust, could you come to the fridge with the thought, I can do this. I can find the condiment that I am looking for, right? Like, could you adjust your perspective? I'm going to find what I'm looking for. All right, all joking aside, here's what's at stake. If you don't think you'll find it, again, you won't reach for it. You won't reach for it. Someone else, someone else will do this part, right? Someone else will do this part. But if I go to the fridge already convinced, I am going to find that barbecue sauce. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it, despite the fact that there's some things that need to get moved. Every time you, you, you'll go, you, again, you'll go with this expectation. Instead of letting someone else just have that opportunity, you'll do it for yourself. And Jesus is commanding the untrained, the disqualified us today. He's like, listen, this is how you have to dispel this myth. You have to change the way you think. You have to repent from the way that you think. You need a course correction and how you approach this thing. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand for you. You have a hand. And it's been brought close to you by the life of Jesus, the inbreaking. He brought in a whole new era. He already did it all, all himself. And now here it is accessible to you. It's at hand for you, right there for you, right? That we have to think according to the proclamation that Jesus has so clearly at a point in history defined over us today. It is right here. Heaven in all its glory in all its peace, in, in authority, in the nature of, of the kingdom, in abundance. It's all here for you, too. For you, too. And we have to know, we have to have this, cor- this course correction because there is another little nugget that's designed in the way the kingdom works. And it's this, that, that it says this in Matthew eleven twelve. It says this about the kingdom. It has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The suffered violence, and you might go, what does that exactly mean? Well, here's where I got into the Greek a little bit, and I found out that suffered violence, it means this, it means to be seized with effort and zeal, to be seized, that it suffers violence, and that the violent take it by force, that means to claim for oneself. So here's how I would say it. The fullness of heaven is vulnerable to those who will reach out and take it for themselves, that there is just a part of it in there. That God says, I brought it to your hand, but you have to actually take it by the hand, right? That's what he's saying. Bill Johnson says something like this. I tried to find this quote because I love it. So this is not an exact quote, but he says, God gives you everything you need, but those things you want, you have to go get for yourself. It's that whole concept of I've, I've, I've given you the promised land. Now just go take the enemy off of it. Go occupy it. Go set up your home there. Go live in the vineyards and Take the oil that I've already provided, right? Take the kingdom by force. Take it by force. I'll go after it. So the offer, though, of the kingdom, guys, the offer of abundant life, of the experience of life in the spirit, 
requires reach. I just want to stand in front of you today and say that myth that says it's just easier for someone else. No, they reach for it. And so can you. And so can you. That we must adjust our perspective to line up with the offer, offer again of God. Because if we think it's for someone else, for those people, we won't reach for it. It's really simple. It's really simple. So one more story to illuminate the offer of God. And um, this is a, a story that um, that we've heard probably a ton, ton of times. This is in Luke. And this is a story of Mary and Martha. And I just want you to hear for a second the offer of Jesus. Okay? So here, here's where, how it goes. It says this. As Jesus and his disciple were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's the deal about this story, guys. I saw this story in a whole new light. I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me that Jesus was available to both the sisters, equally as available to both the sisters, equally as willing, equally as close to both Mary and Martha. And here's the deal. He did not pick Mary over Martha to sit at his feet. He didn't pick Mary. He didn't say, you are the one that that gets to come sit at my feet and learn from me. Martha, you go serve, right? And Jesus is saying this, Mary chose the better. That Mary saw what the offer was in front of her. And she said, this is what I'm going to bring into my life right now in this moment. She made a choice to respond to the presence of Jesus in the room that was there. She saw the offer, the offer of the proximity of Jesus, and she chose the better. She chose the better. This was the deciding factor between who who was able to really connect with Jesus in that minute. Here's the deal, guys. We always take this into the personality realm, don't we? I don't see that in this story when I look at what Jesus is doing. I don't see it as a personality issue. That what Jesus is saying is Martha could have made the same choice too, right? That's what Jesus is saying to her. You could make the same choice too. It means that any personality, any expectations of society, any natural tendency or background, it doesn't matter. Anyone can have the same access to Jesus. Anyone. And this brought me so much hope, this story for a minute, because the truth is, Martha, there are no limits on you either. There are no limits on you either. Yes, and in, in, in so I can look at, at this and go, and I can choose too, right? There's so much hope in this that if Martha could make the better choice, it, I can too, in my skin, in my demanding life, in my, you know, ambitious personality, I can choose too, equally, equally available. That was the better offer on the table for Mary in that moment, to stop everything else and just to learn from Jesus who was fully available in front of her. In this offer of Jesus, you guys, here's the deal. This is like amazing to me. This offer of Jesus, it was radical. It was laughable. It was crazy. This, where Mary is sitting at his feet, this is a rabbi disciple position. This is a teacher learner position. And you guys, women didn't have rabbis. 
women didn't have this opportunity in this culture, in this society. There weren't women who were invited to come sit at a rabbi's feet and to learn and to take on whatever they were offering. Here is Jesus sitting in front of Mary and what he was offering her, it was was scandalous. Like everyone else in the room, it was gaspable. Like, what are you doing? You can't be there. You can't have with the fullness of Jesus. You can't have his teaching. You can't learn from him like that. But that was what Jesus was offering, right? So Mary was able to get past all the limits of that. She was able to get past the expectations of people and what should be available to her and what isn't. And oh my goodness, she, uh, she right there, you know, be able to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. As a disciple, it's a crazy offer, you guys. And here's what I felt like God was saying. The offer of Jesus in front of you today is just as crazy as that. And I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I know this for sure, that it is more than you thought you could have, truly. It's more than makes sense. It's not reasonable, it's not logical, and it's not rational. And he's offering you right now in your life, whatever situation you are in, the offer is just as amazing. It ju- is just as amazing. Now the choice is, will you choose the better? That's the choice in front of us. Will you choose the better? Because that is the, 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 that is the question, that is the, the offer on the table, complete access. Complete access. And now I feel so strongly, you guys, that we would dispel. I, I want us as a group of people that we just dispel every myth, that we live outside of the limits. We live outside of expectations, that the things that we've, we've heard about, you know, we've all heard crazy stories about Christians that have encountered God in amazing ways and, and lived out fullness and abundance. And I want us to go, yeah, and that's going to be my story too. I can see it. I can see it in my skin. I can see the offer. And I'm not going to settle for any excuse on why I can't have it. I'm not. This is where I'm going, right? I want that for us as a group of people. I want us to get outside of the definitions of what church is supposed to be like, worship is supposed to be like, ministry time is supposed to be like. I want us to see the offer for Jesus. He's got a current offer for us, guys. He does. He's always working. He's always moving. He has huge plans for his church. I want us to start to go, what is the spirit in me really like? In my job, in my family, in my small group? I want us to start exploring that. I want us to get beyond what we thought we could have, the smallness of our thinking. I want us to go for it, guys. And so here's what I think we're going to do for just a second. I felt like um, the first thing is that I just want, maybe we just close our eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just invite God's presence is to come. You can stay seated for a minute. And here's what I want to ask you. Where your thinking doesn't line up with God's perspective, are you open to changing your mind? Could we just start there? Could we be open to just changing our mind? Where we thought we had to be like Martha, just around Jesus, but getting stuff done because of my personality, because of my background, maybe because of my experience so far. And then 
I felt like that Jesus wanted to put an offer on the table in front of you. And I want you just to spend a second and just ask Jesus, what's the offer on the table for my spiritual life? My spiritual maturity. What's the offer on the table? Maybe he's going to give you a word. Ask him for a picture. Ask him to describe it. What's the dream in God's heart for your spiritual growth? What does he have in mind? And Jesus, we welcome you to move out the boundaries that we put up in our mind. We welcome you right now to put an offer on the table that Mary had. What does it look like? How would you describe it, Father? heard of your glory we've heard of your fame we've heard of what you've done how close do you want to bring it to our lives what story Jesus what story are you writing of my personal growth give us a glimpse ahead your glory look like in my life? What's your power look like in my life? Your wisdom. Here's what I want you guys to do this week. I want you to come back to this offer this week. I felt like the Lord just said every day this week. Will you come back to the offer every day this week? Will you let him refresh it? Expand it? deepen it he wants to add to it but he wants you to begin to see God's idea about your spiritual life really clearly so you know what you're reaching for so you know what his plans are so you know what an on fire follower of Jesus looks like because if you don't know when we say that you'll say again you'll say but yes you people are doing that but not me you won't go with us and we want to go together so why don't we stand up and we're, we're pretty much done but I just want to pray really quickly just to bless the offer and Kevin has something or several things but God I just bless the offer from a generous father over these lives bless the goodness of the offer of God over you I bless the the land that he puts in front of you that he says no just walk the length and the width and the breadth of it I bless your um, ability to catch the offer in deeper ways this week 
for it to solidify deep in your spirit.